The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Transformation for Success with Dr. Barbara Young. If you're looking for something more, something different, something better, this is your opportunity. Over the next hour, we'll talk about inspiration for personal and professional success. Now, here is your host, Dr. Barbara Young. Hello there. This is Dr. Barbara Young, and welcome to the Transformation for Success show. I hope you're having a great day. I am here every Tuesday at 2 p.m., Pacific Standard Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So I invite you to tune in each week. Now you can access me on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. You can also download the shows for your listening pleasure through my website, www.transformationforsuccess.com, and click on the tab, Dr. B's Radio Show. You know, French writer and Nobel Prize winner Anatole France once said, to accomplish great things, We must not only act, but also dream, and not only plan, but also believe. More importantly, I want to ask you, are you living the dream that you set out to dream? Was your dream big enough? Did you even have a dream? Can we really say to ourselves that most of the time, we've either forgotten our dreams, or we didn't have one to start out with? Now, another gentleman, Mr. Victor Hugo, said, there's nothing like a dream to create a future. We need a dream, and we need to dream big. Typically, we call a dream today a vision. And I've found out that visions seek to make the world a better place. A few years ago, a study was made of about 200 people that one would call very successful. And it was discovered that all 200 had one common denominator, and that was each had dared to dream, but dream big dreams, set goals, and reach out to achieve those goals. So I remind you, you're never too old to dream. And as long as you are alive, you can dream. God never drops dreams in our laps and says, there they are. We have to fight for it. We have to work. We have to push through, sweat, strain, and do things we thought we could never do. And you know, opposition is always there when you try something new. And there are people who are ready to criticize and tell you it won't work. You're a fool to do this. And please know that there are dream killers and there are dream stillers. So I want you to keep dreaming. If only your dream is deferred, as my famous guest today, the incomparable Judge Maybelline Ephraim, known throughout the world as Judge Maybelline since her seven-year run, as a judge on the Fox television show, Divorce Court. Now, since 2014, she has been on the Judge in Justice with Judge Maybelline on Channel Justice Central. So today, she is my guest, and she's going to share her dream of becoming a lawyer and how she deferred her dream until some years later. She's also going to discuss her challenges and how she overcame them to be the woman she is today, a woman that I know personally, a woman of passion, a woman of purpose, 
who's smart, she's direct, motivated, God-fearing, and humble. And I know you're going to be captivated by her forthrightness and candor in the interview of a journey fraught with many trials, but successes that she attributes to divine intervention. So hello and welcome, Judge Maybelline. Well, hello, Dr. Barbara Young. What a wonderful introduction. I think I better take you on the road with me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I, you know, I love you, Judge Maybelline. I really do. And it's an honor, really, and truly a privilege to have you on the show today. And I really especially want to thank you for taking time from your very busy schedule to be on the show today. And I also want to just remarkably say this to Happy, this is Veterans Day. And I want to thank, say thanks to all the veterans out there who've served this country to make us free and to enjoy the freedoms that we enjoy today. So I want to say happy Veterans Day and give honor to those who've served our country very well. But uh, I want to join you in that. And in particular, my brother, I have a brother who was a veteran and who was killed in the Vietnam War. So I definitely want to pay tribute to the veterans that served our country. And in memory of him, happy Veterans Day. Thank you so much for that. And my Mm -hmm. husband, who just recently went on to be with the Lord, was a veteran of two wars and then worked at a military base and all total served 32 years serving Terry. And so I want to honor him today and know that he's with the Lord. Just thank him for a wonderful life of 38 years of marriage. But listeners, first of all, I want to get into asking a lot of questions about Judge Maybelline, whom I've always called Judge Maybelline. First of all, Judge, tell us, what was it like, you know, growing up being the ninth of 10 children in Los Angeles? Well, for me, growing up in my home was a lot of fun. It was filled with a lot of laughter. It was filled with a lot of love. And it was filled with, of course, Christian ethics and great moral training, great examples of parents who lived by the Word of God, who raised us in the same manner, who gave us some great pearls of wisdom. And being number nine of ten children, I was (laughs) happily spoiled. I am a spoiled person, I must say. I was able to, even though we were a poor family, my mother was a licensed vocational nurse and my father was a butcher. Mm-hmm. But he became uh, ill at age 53 when I was in the eighth grade and had to quit work. And my mm-hmm. mother had to raise us on her salary. I say on her salary, but I was fortunate because she also had the help of my elder sisters and brothers who definitely contributed. And they worked as well and helped her pay for the rest of us to get through school and well, for our wonderful? basic needs, clothing and food and shelter and all of that. And I never went without anything that I needed and never knew that I was poor until I got to college. <laughs> because everything <laughs> well, you know that what? I needed. Probably that was a good thing. Not knowing that, that you were, you know, poor, so to speak. But, you know, one of the things that I do know about you is that you graduated from Thomas Jefferson High School in, uh, well, in a certain year with honors. And, you know, you were awarded a no, four-year Bob, academic I don't have a problem saying what year I graduated. I am so thankful to be the age that I am, and I'm so <laughs> thankful to have lived that long. And I work at my school and I, uh, my alma mater, and I really am proud to have been a graduate of Jefferson High School here in Los Angeles in the inner city 
uh, community, 1967, graduated with honors, and Jefferson was good to me. So I am happy to say that I'm a Jefferson Democrat and still supporting my school and trying <laughs> oh, to that's reach wonderful. back to some of the, the students that are there now <laughs> to uh, encourage them and let them know that where they are is not where they have to remain. Well, and know, their past does not, you know, determine their future, yes. that they have some say-so in what, they, what happens to their future. The fact that they are in school in the inner city of Los Angeles does not mean that it's a negative, and it doesn't have to be a negative for right. them. So I am happy to let people know that that's, those were my beginnings. Well, you know, and that's important, too, and I thank you for sharing that. You know, mm-hmm. I don't know, there's some people who want to deny maybe, you know, where they came from, and it's like, you know, but it's a wonderful thing to be, have laudatory remarks about your beginnings and, and really to encourage somebody else. You know, um, I, I was just thinking, because I know quite a bit about your background and what some of the things you've done, but, you know, I was curious because this was a question I po- I've posed, and people have even asked me this question. When you were in school, during those school years, did you think you were smart? Yes, I did. I thought that I was very smart because okay. I <laughs> I got all A's and B's, and I graduated mm-hmm. from Jefferson High School with honors, and I was mm-hmm. given a four-year academic scholarship, mm-hmm. and I got all A's and B's from Jefferson um, and junior high school and all, and my teachers kept telling me I was smart, and I was in student government, and I was one of the leaders of the campus and all of that, and yeah, I thought I, was, I got a scholarship from Bank of America. I got oh, accepted yeah. to USC and University of Chicago, and I thought that I was smart, and I thought that I knew how to write, and I thought that I was just, uh, you know, could compete mm-hmm. with anyone until I got to college. You know, that's that's a, I that was going to be my next question. Yes. When you got to college, because I know mm-hmm. a lot of students, will they're smart in high school, and they get to college, they find the rigor, the academic rigor. What did you find, what did you discover about yourself when you did get into college? When I got to college, I discovered that smart is relative that it all depends upon your competition, and it depends upon the people around you. So compared to the other students that I was dealing with mm-hmm. and compared to the education that I was given, I was smart. But when mm-hmm. I compared it to students who had gone to private schools, high schools, when I mm-hmm. compared it to students who had gone to uh, prep schools, and mm-hmm. when I was in competition in college with all of these students, I discovered that I was sorely lacking. I discovered clearly my first paper that I wrote in college, in my mm-hmm. English class, the first paper I had to write, which was a um, book report, mm-hmm. uh, an analysis of a book, I got so many red marks on the paper for incorrect English, for incorrect grammar, for run-on sentences, for this and that, till I cried. I literally cried. Oh, I was my just goodness. crushed because I got, my, no, I didn't even get a fail. My teacher said, my professor said, Thanks be to God, I am not going to even grade your paper because if I graded it, I would have to fail you. And she said, she called me into her office and she said, and it's not your fault. She says, you can write and you're capable of writing well if you have been taught. The problem is you haven't been taught. So what bothers me about inner city schools is that they pass kids without uh, teaching them what they need to know. And they assume that it's okay. And she said, you've never been taught. You've never been challenged. No one ever told you and corrected your papers in this manner. I said, you're right, because all my papers that I ever wrote, I got A's and and it didn't have all these red marks. (laughs) She said, but I'm going to help you, and I'm going to teach you, because I know that you have the ability to do it. And so she said, if you want to, I'll work with you, but it's up to you. 
I am going to give you a personal assignment. Um, I want you to write an essay for me. I want you to read a book, and I want you to write an essay for me once a week. And you get it back to me, and I will grade it. I know not grade it. I will correct it, and I will show you your mistakes. Uh-huh. And, you know, you think that wasn't a blessing? It this, was. See, this professor took her time to do that for me. And I said, of course, that's what I want to do when I finish crying and calling home to mommy and my sisters. And, you know, <laughs> that was just a blow. You know what I'm saying? It's like yeah. you yeah. now get an F or a D or no grade. Um, I said, okay, certainly I will do that. And that's what we did for that whole first year of college. She took it upon herself to help me. And that, I mean, I've been so blessed to have people invest in me personally who say, I see something in you, and I'm going to help you. And so that's what I try to do now is invest in other children and say to them, I see something in you, and I'm going to invest in you because you can do this. I know you can do this if you have the help. And that's what happened for me. So from then on, I was okay. I got through college, and I did well. That is so wonderful. You know, and thank mm-hmm. God for professors like that who yeah. are so inspired and who really have that gift of teaching, but the gift of love that yeah. they want to reach out and help students. And that was admirable. And thank God, you know, God was on your side. I mean, absolutely. Yeah, it was admirable and she didn't have to do it. So I certainly, yeah. Yeah. you know, I am so appreciative and um, yeah, that was that was my beginning at college. And that's when I realized, okay, you don't know it all. You You got a lot to learn, young lady. But, you know, it's interesting. One of the things that I'm picking up out of this, too, is at age 13, I know this from knowing about your your background, you wanted to become a lawyer. Now, the important point that I'm making here is where there is a destiny. Some people really don't really believe that there's a creator, that God has a plan, but he definitely Mm -hmm. has a plan. You wanted to be a lawyer from the time Mm -hmm. you were 13. Now, one of the things that we know we know for a fact that lawyers have to write. They have to write. <laughs> they have to know how they have to, to read, write. They have to write and they have to analyze. And if you don't write That's well, exactly you can't right. do it. So here you are, starting mm-hmm. out as a freshman, couldn't write, but there was divine destiny. Meeting you with a professor who said, I will help you, I will teach you, I will show you. And don't you think, did you ever think about that and sort of reflect on that? Because that just sort of hit me right in my face. Oh, certainly I did. You know, when you when you look back at your life, um, you see that everything, as the Bible Scripture says, all things work together for the good right. of those who are called of the Lord. I could write, but I could write well. So, yes, I, I wanted to be a lawyer, and I so I did the reading, and I did the writing like I was supposed to. I did public speech. Speaking a lot, I was always writing and giving speeches at church and uh, different community uh, groups, but I still was not trained as I didn't know it well, so she taught me how to do it well. Um, and yes, it's divine destiny. How did I end up with this particular professor? <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, you know, God, God puts people in our paths and put people in our lives, and he gives us what we need. Yes, he, he does. What we need. Well, you know, what happened after undergraduate studies? Why you didn't continue? You got married. I mean, what happened there? It's like all well, of a when sudden. When I got into you, undergraduate school, that was during the height of the civil rights movement. Mm-hmm. So my life changed substantially. I had another experience. I experienced racism and um, 
for the first time. I grew up in Los Angeles. This was in the 60s. I was fully aware of racism and segregation and discrimination. And although I lived in a predominantly black community, 99% black, went to a 99% black school, I did not believe that I was that we suffered segregation, discrimination, and racism mm-hmm. in California. Mm-hmm. I watched the news to see what was going on in the civil rights movement and looked at what was happening in Mississippi and Alabama and Georgia and, and Carolina and Florida, but I didn't realize that we were suffering the same. So when I got to college, I had a white roommate, and the teacher, the uh, dean had said that we all put our name in a hat for the freshman year, and we mm-hmm. could not room with people we knew, because my best friend and I from, from junior middle school, junior high school, we went to the same college, and we were going to be roommates, because, you know, we had our lives laid out, and what we wanted to do with <laughs> right. our lives. And they said, no, you cannot be roommates, because we, we want you all to experience, get something new and experience uh, a cultural differences and, and all of that. So first year, everybody's name go into a hat. We choose a roommate for you. So it, that's what happened. I get a white roommate from Oregon mm-hmm. whose father was rich. This is a small private school that I'm going to. I don't know and understand all of the nuances of this. She and I got along well. But here it is, parent day, first weekend of parent day. Okay. Her father I'm comes to campus. I'm going to stop you and- right there while we mm-hmm. take a quick commercial break. And we're going to be right back, and we're going to find out what happened on Parent Day with Judge Maybelline. So stay tuned, listeners. We'll be right back after this commercial. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests new shows, and your favorites. That's Voice America TRN. Do you have complete control over your thoughts and your life? It seems like we do, but there are always outside forces that are wreaking havoc with that control. How do we get our thoughts back on track, so to speak? Listen for help. My thoughts are holding me hostage with Dr. Jeffrey Fannin. When you command the power of thought, you can achieve or have whatever you want. Make the laws of the universe work for you. Tune in every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. When you make decisions, do you ever find yourself in doubt? Are you trying to figure out what's right with you? Are you ready to truly change your life? Listen for the Access Consciousness Radio Show with the founders of Access Consciousness, Gary Douglas and Dr. Dane Here. Consciousness is all about including everything and judging nothing. Our program will help you break free from your personal limitations and enhance positive change in all areas of your life. Tune in to Access Consciousness, Thursdays at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. This is Transformation for Success. To reach Dr. Barbara Young or today's guest, please call into the program at 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to info at transformationforsuccess.com. 
Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back to my guest today on Transformation for Success, Judge Maybelline Ephraim. And we are talking about her dream, a dream deferred, but I want you to hear her story. It is absolutely fantastic. So stay with us as we continue our discussion with what happened on Parent Day with Judge Maybelline, where she has a white roommate and the parents show up. Okay, Judge, take it away. (laughs) All right. So Parent Day, the father of my roommate, shows up. He's rich. We had a small private school. Small private schools are funded by and and depend upon the donations from rich people, parents, and other outsiders. So and he was one of those donors. He said when he got found out that his daughter had a black roommate, he went to the dean and said, you pull my daughter out of that room and get her out of that room with that and use the N-word, or I will pull my child out of the school and I will pull my funds. So the dean came to me. You know, the the weekend was over and called me in and said, we need to change roommates. I said, why? We're getting along. What's the problem? And so she had to explain what her father said. I said, I'm not changing. She said, well, now you can go room with uh, your friend, my girlfriend, Lisa. My, I said, no. You said we couldn't room together when we wanted to room together. She's in another dorm, and she and her roommate are getting along fine. Why am I going to disturb her? Well, we have to. I said, well, I'll tell you what. If you want to move her, then so be it. But I'm not moving, and I'm not going to live with anyone else. I'm going to have a room by myself. <laughs> so that's what I did. <laughs> and I was the only student on campus with a room by herself. So my room became the hangout room for all my friends. I said, and, but my. at that moment, I learned something very valuable. I learned about white versus black. I learned about racism. I learned about the class system. I learned about how money and, and you know, people change the rules to fit the circumstances. I learned yes. that rules can always be changed by the people who make the rules. I learned that money talks. And when you have money, that you know, you can get some things done that you can't get done with money. I learned so much from that mm. experience. And then the uh, dean eventually, two years later, put me on the recruitment uh, on the board where we had a student representative because then we began to protest against the, la- the lack of black students on the campus, the lack of black professors. We wanted to make sure that we were able to get more black students into the campus. So I got into what was called the black student movement, and then I became what some refer to as a militant. So my life changed. So from the nice little church girl who grew up loving everybody and treating everybody with respect and following the golden rule, doing to others as I would have them do unto me, and not hating anyone because of color or anything that began um, this hatred. And I, I, I was just like, ooh, I just hate white folks, you know? And so my life changed, and I started treating white people differently and started making those distinctions. I don't like you because you're white. I like you because you're black. And that went on for a while in my life, and, and I was very angry, so... Um, okay, so and I became so, a part of the movement. I checked out of school. I did when I came out of undergraduate school. I didn't go straight to college. I got married. Um, I married somebody from prison because he was a black man in prison who the white folks was just imprisoning because he was black. I mean, it just changed my whole perspective on things. You see okay. what I'm saying? So it went. Mm-hmm. So life just had a different. I just had a different attitude. It was like, wow. <laughs> What 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 actually? Uh, now you're married and you mm-hmm. start to have children. Right. What, is, what what and you're going through? It's a phase. You're going through that phase of of uh, really. It's interesting how the circle, the cycle returns when you think mm-hmm. about what's happening today. But basically, what inspired you not to give up on your dream of becoming a lawyer? 
out of all of this, you know, you're married uh, and, 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 and you're a mother, and then what happens? Well, I'm married, and my husband is not, we're, not, we're incompatible. Uh, we don't think the same thing. I'm trying to go to college. I wanted to be a lawyer, always did. He didn't go to college. He didn't finish high school, although he had the brains to do so, but he mm-hmm. didn't live that lifestyle. He turned into, you know, he did a criminal element, so I got a whole different element. Uh, I'm working at the bank, making a little bit of money. Then I have mm-hmm. a baby, and I, well, I started at the federal prison because I was pregnant and I couldn't get a job anywhere else. This is an interesting story. I went to the federal, went to the telephone company. That's when I discovered I was pregnant and when I came out of school, and they gave me the urine test for the job and discovered I was pregnant. So they wouldn't hire. Again, oh, we're talking wow. about the early 70s now where women didn't get hired on jobs if they were pregnant That's because right. they said you weren't going to keep the job. So they denied me the job once they discovered I was pregnant. I need a job. So I applied to another job, federal correctional. I knew they were going to give me a test for pregnancy, and they wouldn't hire me if I was. So guess what I did? Switched the urine tests up. I took my mother-in-law's urine into the job, into the <laughs> – I took it with me to the exam, and when they told me to go into the restroom to give a urine sample, I just poured hers in there. <laughs> <laughs> I, I told you I learned. I learned a lot. I grew up. I learned a lot. So I got the job as a federal correctional officer. I'm pregnant. They don't know it until I get to about the sixth month and I start to show. So now it's time for me to take a break. So I took my leave of absence for pregnancy. Didn't want to be there anyway. I just needed a job. I took my leave of absence for pregnant. Now I can decide after the baby is is born, I got to go back to work. So that's when I went into the banking industry. I got to work because my husband works part sometimes, but he's living a different lifestyle. He doesn't bring all his money home. He doesn't take care of me like he should. Now I discover he has two sons that I didn't know about. Find out that their mother is not taking care of them. She's a drug addict. Boom, I get two babies. I get two more kids into my life. So now I'm a mother of three instead of two. One, and I got a husband who's not helping me uh, very much. He's spending his money on drugs, on women. He's womanizing. I was like, oh, God, this ain't going to work. I got to go back to college. I got to get to law school. I can't live like this. I've always wanted to live well. I've always wanted to go beyond what my parents have. I didn't want to live in poverty. I wanted to travel. I wanted to have the better things in life. I used to go to Hancock Park after, after um, on Sundays when we got our driver's license, my girlfriend and I, we drive through Hancock Park, which is a big community in Los Angeles mm-hmm. with big, beautiful houses. And we walk through those open houses and dream this is the kind of house we're going to live in. We go over to the, to, um, Ladera Heights, and we go to those homes up there, and we walk through, and we dream. This is the kind of house we're going to live in. We go to the better schools. This is where our children are going to go to school. And so I had to fulfill this dream. It's like, this is not happening. <laughs> so <laughs> I went and applied for law school. Didn't tell my husband because he didn't have any faith in me and didn't believe I was going to do it. I kept it to myself. I didn't tell anybody. I just went and applied for law school and said, I'm getting my butt back, getting my butt in law school. And I got in law school, but... Again, my LSAT scores were low. So the law school committee initially denied me. But here goes God again, having somebody in place for whom you need. The owner of the school, Beverly Rubens, reviewed all rejects when the committee rejected a person. So, you know, you have to write an essay to get into college, and particularly law school. Why do you want to be a lawyer? What do you plan to do with it? How are you going to help and benefit the community? Why should we, you know, let you in? I'm the only child in my family, 9 out of 10, who's finished college at all. 
nine out of ten who got a scholarship to college. I did great, you know, had great Mm -hmm. grades in high school, did well in college. So my essay, she reviewed the essay, brought me to her house. I'll never forget. On a Saturday, I had to go to her house with this rich white woman sitting by the swimming pool while she's reviewing my essay and asking me questions. And she she overrode the, the the decision of the committee and said, let her in. I see something in her. She's going to be great. She is going to give our school a good name. She is going to she's going to make us proud that we we let her in. Did I do that? Yes. Eventually won alumni of the year from Whittier Law School. Isn't that something? Oh, Judge, that is that is so wonderful. God has just been in my you know I mean just things when people and say you yes. can't do it. So I tell children, have faith, believe, do your part, do what you're supposed to do, depend on God to do the rest. But you know, the thing that that comes out of this is that how you had trials and challenges, as many women have had, Mm -hmm. marrying the wrong person, having to go through with, I'm sure, rejection, the fact that your husband is not bringing in the money, he's chasing women, he's doing drugs, certainly the lifestyle that you had not planned for yourself. But Mm -hmm. out of that, you didn't just go into the deep despair and stay there, but you decided to fulfill your dream. One of the things I noted is that from the time you graduated from Jeff Thomas Jefferson High School in 1967, you go back to law school in 1974. That right. is 17 years later. No, seven years, seven, seven. seven. I'm sorry, seven years later. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not 17. Seven years As later. opposed to four years later, right? Yes. I was out for three years for after undergraduate. And, and, and I'm like, I'm glad you said, uh, drink, went into the deep depression but didn't stay there. You're right. I did go into depression. I went into a depression during my pregnancy. The Lord again blessed. I drank. I, I, I hate to admit it, but it's going no. to help someone. Right. I started drinking, mm-hmm. and I would drink at least a half gallon of wine a day mm-hmm. during my pregnancy. Now, remember, this early 70s, that's when the Surgeon General hasn't said that alcohol is, good, is not good for pregnant right. women. Fetal syndrome, uh, something like right. that. Right. They, yeah. they hadn't talked about the fetal mm-hmm. alcohol syndrome. So, But I drank it, and thanks be to God, I got the smartest little child in the world. My daughter is so smart. She came out of, she left high school at age 16, went to Georgetown University on a full academic scholarship, is a producer in Hollywood, one of the brightest young ladies I know. And guess what her best skill is? Writing. Writes so well. Well, I think God has has poetic justice. You know, I always say he has a sense of humor. Mm-hmm. But it is wonderful to hear how, you know, but what has God happened. again my- protected that child through my ignorance and, I- and through my depression. I got depressed, but I was like, I can't stay here. I cannot do this. I've got to get up out of this. You know what? This is not me. Uh, the domestic violence, the bad marriage. I was like, no. And I told, I said to my husband, I said, you got me in a point of despair now. I said, but if I ever come out of this funk, you're going to be sorry. I know he did. Sorry, because this is not me. I am not a loser. I am not a quitter. I'm not a crybaby. I don't give up. When I come out of this depression, you're going to be sorry. But, you know, I think one of the most important things was your uh, ability to turn your life around and the perseverance and the fortitude, because you did not, and I know this, give up, you know, mm-hmm. or take, accomplish all of these goals without neglecting your children. You were there 
were for your children. You were there at night working yeah. and going to school at night. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to add, you know, you've done so much, uh, Judge Maybelline, in the community uh, as an attorney and work. Did all of this background and all of this that you experienced lead, help you to lead to the opening of a family law center? Oh, yes, that's exactly what it did. But mm-hmm. but I want to say the reason I was able to persevere, because I don't want to take the strength of myself like I just did it, it was that strong Christian foundation, that strong yes. biblical yes. foundation. Um, my belief in the word of God, when it says I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, mm-hmm. I believe that. I in, I internalized that. And I, you know, that's what I let guide me. It's like, uh-uh, I can win. I am a winner. I'm not a loser. You know, we're more than conquerors through Christ who loves us. And, and I just stood on the word of God and that, that he promised that our lives would be better. And my mother would tell me that, that you're the next generation. You're the generation. We're children of Abraham, children of God. And each generation is supposed to do better. And I just believe that. But yes, all of that helped me because when I got into law school and when I graduated, became a, a an attorney, a prosecuting mm-hmm. attorney, here I am reviewing uh, cases where women are victims of domestic violence uh, and it's assault and battery cases and just over and over and over. And I'm living it, but, and I couldn't pull myself out of it, but I decided I'm going to help somebody else out of it. So that's how I decided to open a family law clinic that would assist women who were victims of domestic violence in, in getting, preparing restraining orders and getting restraining orders to stop the violence and so they could have custody of their children and still get support and they would not be left out there uh, poor and helpless. And that's how I opened the family law center in conjunction with um, my fellow colleagues who were members of the Black Women Lawyers Association and the Women Lawyers Association of Los That's Angeles. great. That's great. You know, you have you have done so much. One of the things I want you to tell us a little bit, because, again, I can appreciate, and I just thought about this, too, the reflection of, like, the family. When you first started out talking, you talked about how you came from a family, you were spoiled, but you came from a family where Christian values were uh, espoused, where the foundation was based on Christian principles and values, right. and mm-hmm. how fortunate. I mean, I sometimes, you know, realize that not everybody has been fortunate enough to have mm-hmm. that foundation of Christian right. values, which when the Bible says, train up a child in the way he mm-hmm. should grow, and then when they grow old, they will not depart from it, because we really right. come back to that Christian foundation. So I, I thank God it. for you uh, and all the things that you've done. One of the things that I wanted you to share a little bit, because you entered the office of the city attorney, I'm sort of segueing a little bit, and with, a, with a game plan. So yes. tell us a little bit about that, because I think it's so important we talk about dreams, and I talk yeah. about having a dream, but you have to have a goal. You have to have goals. Yeah. You have to make, make some goals to, to uh, codify that dream. So tell yeah, us well, how dream, you came My dream of being them. a lawyer was never to, to work for someone else. My dream of being a lawyer was, was to be my own, my own boss, to open my own office, mm-hmm. um, to, to hire other people, because, again, you have to know who you are, know your personality. I didn't like working for other people. I didn't like people telling me what I could or what I couldn't do. I didn't uh, what I could or couldn't do in terms of my life and my accomplishments. I didn't like people putting a dollar sign and putting a limit on what I could earn. It's like, mm-mm, not me. And I saw my mother go to work when she could was sick 
because if she didn't go to work as a nurse, they would dock her pay, and she wouldn't have enough money to help take care of her children. I saw that my mother could not go to the school um, the, the school events during the day because she couldn't take off from work, so that's where my older sister took her place. I didn't want to be like that for my children. I wanted to be able to do what I needed to do for my children. My mother said the same thing. That's why I want you to go to college so you can have a better life. And so my plan was I don't I have hold that point. Will you hold that as yeah. we take a commercial break? I hate to stop now, but we're going to come back. So listeners, don't go away. We're going to come back, and we're going to hear Judge Maybelline's plan of action mm-hmm. that she had. So stay tuned, and we'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. We're all living in the moment, but you never know when life is going to take a unique turn. It doesn't have to be a challenge, but perhaps more of a detour to get where we need to be. On The Sky's the Limit, host Karen Levitt knows that experience, having faced it herself. Learn about her journey from a life-changing event to where she is now. Her guests are amazing people who are living these experiences and overcoming obstacles. Learn from their stories every Wednesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Empowerment. At the leading edge of quantum science, a revolution of ideas is emerging that challenges everything we believe about the nature of our world and how we define ourselves within it. Quantum Connection, exploring health, science, and spirit with Marina Rose QDNA explores these cutting-edge breakthroughs in quantum science and offers piercing, probing, colorful, insightful dialogue and commentary with some of the world's most influential thought leaders on the most important topics of our time. Listen every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. This is Transformation for Success. To reach Dr. Barbara Young or today's guest, please call into the program at 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to info at transformationforsuccess.com. Now, back to this week's program. Hello there, and welcome back to Transformation for Success. I am here today with my guest, Judge Maybelline Ephraim, and we are having quite a discussion on her journey, her journey of a dream deferred. So as we, before we went to break, we were talking about Judge Maybelline entering the office of the city attorney with a plan, and let me share with you right now her plan. So Judge Maybelline, tell us a little bit about how you had this plan. (laughs) So my plan was I need to make a name for myself because my family name Ephraim, no one knew. And that's when I had learned that names, connections, network, relationships were very important. I learned that in college. So it was like, oh, I got to make a name. I got to get some connections. I got to get some backing. So how do I do that? Let me go to the city attorney's office, 
the government and be a government attorney where we are immune from prosecution. If we make mistakes, couldn't nobody sue us. Our clients couldn't sue us. We, were, we didn't have clients. We worked for the government. And so I could learn how to be a trial attorney. I could make mistakes in the meanwhile and we wouldn't have to worry about getting sued. I could make connections with other lawyers in the community. I could make connections with judges in the community, with other people in the community, and therefore get a name <laughs> for myself. You got to do it well. You got to be Gotta a good lawyer. You, you have to make a have a good reputation. And my parents had always put that in me, a good name, a good name, a good name is worth more than gold, according to the scripture. So that's what I did. I went to the city attorney's office. I learned a lot. I practiced law well. Um, I did. I got good reviews in the city attorney's office on my trial work and my litigation. I went to the appellate division and learned wow. appellate law. Um, worked as a law clerk in the appellate division. And I got, so five years later, when I asked them to give me a promotion, and they say, we got to freeze. Huh? <laughs> we got to freeze on promotions. We're not promoting anyone right now because the, our economy and our budget won't allow it. Okay, I'm out of here. I'm going to promote myself. <laughs> so now wow. I took the money. Uh, oh, no, you, you could get your retirement after five years. Your retirement had vested. So I took my retirement, which was all of $5,000, and opened my own law office. <laughs> so much for and that. And the rest is history because now, remember those connections with the judges? Yes. Um, attorneys are appointed in criminal cases for persons who can't afford lawyers. In addition to the public defender's office, private attorneys are appointed because sometimes there's a conflict of interest when there's more than two defendants, one defendant, so the public defender's office can only represent one or if it's somebody connected to a case. So those relationships and those connections I had made with the judges, I got the first call the See? very first day I opened my law office from one of the judges in West L.A. Uh, Municipal Court who said, Judge Rosemary Shumsky, I'll never forget, Maybelline, you ready? I said, yes, I am. Okay, I need you in court at one thirty this afternoon to give you your first case. And there it was. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you, this is such an amazing, amazing story of mm -hmm. connections and names yes. and knowing. But I heard one clear message. You need to know who you are. You need to know. Need to know and I preach this all the time to ladies out there and men. You need to know who you are. You need to know what you like, what you don't like. What are your values? Because you knew yes. immediately what would work networking, names, connections, and look how they worked out. Oh, my goodness. You have been yeah, such a trailblazer. Connections and networking. And you know what? Not only networking with judges and lawyers and things, I network with the bailiffs. I network with the court clerks. That, look, right. I got calls from the court clerks. Sometimes the judges didn't know me, but you need another. We need an attorney. Uh, I had clerks saying, call, call Maybelline Neesham. She's a good attorney. I had court reporters saying, call Maybelline Neesham. She's a good attorney. And people have to learn. You know, I had bailiffs saying, call Maybelline Neesham. Because I had made, you know, I had treated everyone, no matter how high, no matter how low. That's the Bible said, told us That's to have important. no respect to persons. That is so important, and I'm glad mm -hmm. you brought that out. Because you need not to just know people because of the names, but be mm -mm. humble. And that's why I said you were a very humble person to know everybody and to treat yep. every human being that you meet with, with dignity and, and with respect. integrity mm -hmm. and treat that's them right. as decent human beings. Mm -hmm. and you know, it's interesting, Judge Maybelline, because when you uh, expect the best out of people, you get the best. When you that's give right. the best, you get the best. When you treat that's people right. as they are, you will get 
that kind of respect back. So I admire you for that. Now, I want to jump right in, too, because I know everybody's kind of anxious about this. But you you were doing all these things. You become a trailblazer. You become this attorney that's highly respected. How now you become the judge on Mm -hmm. divorce court. My God, this this TV shelf that, you know, I remember and recall, look, I have to tell the listening audience, I went on a cruise with this woman. We come off the cruise. There are a lot of celebrities on that cruise. But when we get off the cruise in Florida, all of the... (laughs) All of the porters, all of the guys who are handling the baggage, they're all those, here comes the judge. Here comes, that's Maybelline. They looked all over all these other congressional leaders, uh, entertainers that I won't name, high-profile names, but they were all racing. And, of course, I was right next to her, and I was like, oh, my God. They were, <laughs> they were knocking everybody over. It's Judge Maybelline. But anyway. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that, was, that was amazing to me, too. I was like, Wow. <laughs> <laughs> but here's how I got that job. Again, networking, a good name, a good reputation. Um, I, when I went to court, I was always prepared. I had a good reputation for being ready. I had a good reputation for integrity. And my personality is my personality. It's been the same since I was a little girl. It's never changed. Forthright, upfront, speak what I believe, you know, call it like I see it. So my partner... Um, went to a meeting of the lawyers, entertainment and sports lawyers, a learning session on a Tuesday night, and that was my Bible study night. So I said to Shirley, you go, but network with those entertainment and sports lawyers because they get a lot of lawsuits for babies and child support and child custody and (laughs) divorce. And what I'd like to do is connect with these entertainment and sports lawyers so that I can become the family law attorney for their clients. Because entertainers and athletes tend to go to whomever their lawyer or their agent refers for other work. So that's what she was doing. But instead, this attorney said to her, well, Fox is looking for somebody to be the judge of this new television show that they want to revive called Divorce Court. It was out in the 80s. This is now 1998. And they want to be the judge. Uh, they want, they're looking for someone. She says, oh, my partner can do that. My partner can do that. Give me your information. Shirley took the woman's information. Again, friendship, no jealousy, no envy. She right. called me Tuesday night, left me the woman's information. I called her Wednesday morning. She told me who to contact over at Fox. I contacted them, went in Thursday for an interview with, with uh, the Fox people. They asked me to come back Sunday for a videotape interview. I did that, and the following Wednesday wow. they called me and said, you got the job. Well, you know, it is, that is absolutely, again, God steps in. God you know, steps in. I'm yep. telling you. And the thing is, it's interesting is you've been on the court scene for many years. And I just wanted to ask you to just share with the audience, how has this experience been for you personally? Seeing all these individuals come before you in court with all of their challenges, their, you know, their, their experiences. How has it, how has that been for you personally? Well, personally, it's, it's made me a better person, but personally, it's, it's made me much more thankful for the training that I received, the foundation I received in my home, the training I received in, in church, my, in my church family, the people that surround me with love. And it just taught me that you can't take all of that for granted. 
it, you know, the things I know and the places I've been and the things that I've done, you just seem like, don't everybody do that? No. Everybody hasn't had a mother and a father mm-hmm. to love them. Everybody hasn't mm-hmm. had sisters and brothers who love them. Everybody hasn't had extended family, a church family, and, and, and uh, my brothers and sisters, you know, friends mm-hmm. and all of that who love them. But more importantly, it taught, it, it teaches me that, you know, there's just so much that needs to be done, and there's so many people out there hurting. And I say the Lord opened up that um, opportunity for me as a judge, not just to entertain, but my mission is to educate, to motivate, to stimulate, uh-huh. as uh-huh. well as entertain. So I'm able to encourage some young child who is dark-skinned and big hips and big lips and who looks like me to say, oops. I can do it. I can make it. I'm able to encourage some woman who's been through domestic violence and a bad relationship and a bad marriage and say, okay, that's where I was and that's what happened to me in the past. That's where I was. I don't have to stay there. I can rise above that. I can get out of it. I can move forward. I'm able to encourage uh, some man who says, you know, they won't let me have my children and I'm a good father and mm-hmm. I want my children. I'm, enab- I'm able to say to him, yeah, you can have your children. You are a good father. You don't have to do that. You know, so it's just so much and but of course it also opens up opportunities for me to to meet and and connect and network with the entertainers whom I admired like Sidney Poitier and and, and Gladys Knight and Patty uh-huh. Bell and others uh that I thought and never dreamed that I would connect with these people I just liked them you know <laughs> I, I remember a court scene where Tyler Perry comes, his mud dear, comes yeah. before you in court, and you're pretty hard on her. Yeah. <laughs> and I was you thinking, know how I came about could... that. Tyler Perry saw me uh, on divorce court, and and I went to one of his plays with my publicist at the time, uh, Miss Pat Tobin, who introduced me to the world, and she, he said to her, he said to us. Oh, I like you. I watch your show. And they just gave me a contract to write five movies. And when I write the first one and when I get it done, I'm going to write one. For, I'm going to write a part for you. Now, you hear that so much from people. I was like, oh, yeah, right. Yeah, right. And he, when he wrote that movie, he called me and I was shocked. He called my publicist and said, okay, the movie is written. The, the script is written. I got the contract. Uh, we're going to start shooting. I need your client on such a date. Here's the role I, she's going to play. I was like, what? Tyler, I'm getting ready to go on vacation. He says, I think you're going to cancel that vacation and come and do my, my, my movie. I said, no, I think you're going to end up doing that at a time that I can do that and still take my vacation because vacations are important. <laughs> and that's what I did. Well, thank God for Tyler Perry. Mm-hmm. And he really honored you in that movie. That was he great. Honored me. And yes, and he kept his word. And I was like, wow. And then he decided, okay, we'll do two more of these, and I'll put her in those two. So I ended up doing three of his movies. And that's wonderful. You know, one mm-hmm. of the things, too, that you just said about him, he's a man of his word. Oh, mm-hmm. Maybe one day I'll have him on my radio show. That'll be a that goal be nice. to go for. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep, yeah, yeah, because he has a wonderful story. Yeah, yeah. And you know, what I found, Dr. Young, is that everybody who is successful, when you say transformation to success, there's been a transformation and there's been a road. It didn't just happen overnight. That's and right. people say, oh, they got that all of a sudden. No, it's not all of a sudden. 
because all the trials that I went through, my marital situation, because I came up as a little church girl. I didn't know anything about prostitution and drugs and right. alcohol right. abuse and right. gang banging and, right. and all of those different things. I didn't know about the broken homes, but practicing family law and representing attorneys, I mean, representing children, and I get to know the psychiatrist. I didn't understand. I didn't know about broken homes. I didn't know about those kind of syndromes and how it impacts and affects children. I didn't know all of those kinds of things. I was but with a all of family. that was preparing you for the job that, that God that had. But that, having experienced all of that, prepared me for the job. That's exactly right. You cannot relate to where you have not been. Right. So one of the things I wanted to, as we sort of get towards a close in the show, and this has just been so exciting. I had to have you back for part two because you're very active, I know, in your church and the community. And oh, yeah. I wanted to just bring in the fact that you have done so much. And when we were talking about fathers uh, a few minutes ago, I wanted to bring that up because for me, that's an important thing that we don't forget our fathers. And obviously you'd have not because you have created a foundation and you're the founder of an annual event honoring the unsung fathers, Huff, I I guess it's called. And this event has been held on Father's Day every year since 2004. So tell us how this idea came to be born? Well, again, I had a great father, and there were men in my life who were great fathers, and we, in our family, we used to have a competition between fathers and mothers on Father's Day, so the last competition that we had in the family was, I, we, we hosted Father's Day at my house, mm-hmm. and I had a live band in the backyard, and I invited, we invited all the fathers in the family, plus the men that we knew personally. Uh, to come and be a part of it. And the women did all of the cooking. We were wearing our aprons. We served. We did everything. And we had the children and the wives get up and talk about their husbands and fathers as fathers and, and the men in their lives. The men all expressed that they had never been to something like that. Oh, they had wow. never felt that kind of That's, love. Oh, they didn't know how, what their children felt about them, et cetera, et cetera. They had never been praised like that. So the Lord said to me, take this to the community. Take it to the community. So I told my little niece, I said, I was supposed to take this to the community, but I'm scared. I don't know nothing about doing all this stuff. You know, I don't know about doing dinners in the community and, and, and doing fundraisers. And I'm not a corporation, and I don't know about going to corporations asking for money to help fund events and mm-hmm. stuff like that because I did all that with my money. She says, I'll help you. Before I knew it, this was like, I can, I, this was June of one year, June two, 2013, but I was scared. Come April 2014, I still haven't done it. My niece says, I'm going to do it. She had booked the hotel, booked everything, and forced me to do it. So that was the first one, June 2014. Well, that We took it to the community, and we've been doing it ever since. Well, you know, as we close the show, Judge Maybelline, I know from personal interaction with you, I know. I know for without a doubt, you're a woman of God, you're frank, you're forthright, and you are loved by many, many people all over the world. So what final tidbit in the one minute we have left that you would like to just share one final tidbit for our listeners today? Well, my final tidbit is this. Never give up on your dream. Trust God. Believe. Never give up up on your dream. I always say you're going to die anyway. Man born of a woman, we were born to live, born to die. Everybody who lives is going to die. So you might as well die trying to reach your goal and to fulfill your dream. Never give up on your dream. 
Thank you so much, Judge Maybelline. I am so glad. I know we've only touched just a part of your story today, but I'm sure the listeners have benefited from having you share from your heart today. And I want to thank you for being an inspiration to so many women out there, a woman of passion, a woman, a godly woman of purpose and commitment who's living her life and living her dream. I close with this. Dreams matter in your life and you matter in the lives of so many people. So make them good dreams and be the best dreamer you can be. So I want you to tune in next week as I have another treat in store for you as we examine another transformation journey. So thank you. I wish you all of God's blessings for your future dreams. And Judge Maybelline again, thank you so much. I thank love you. Thank you for sharing, having me, Barbara. And I, I love you. you as well. All right. Love you. God bless you as you continue your journey. We appreciate you joining us for Transformation for Success. Please join your host, Dr. Barbara Young, again next Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, that's 2 p.m. Pacific Time, on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have an outstanding week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.